You know, there was a time before the drab, gray, bleary days of winter, back before the cold and snow, when you could go outside and work in your yard all day long. Maybe you tend to garden during the summer, or maybe it's enough for you just to kind of keep the lawn mowed and the, the, sh- the bushes trimmed. No matter the case, we've all had those spring or summer Saturdays that we spend all day outside working. And oh, how good it feels at the end of a day like that to sit down in the evening in your yard chair and look out over your yard. Maybe for you it's in a porch swing in the gazebo. Just look out over your yard. A big cup of lemonade or a cup of coffee if that's your cup of tea, and you see the results of your day of labor. You only get to sit down at the end of the day because your day of work is over, and now it's time to rest. The book of Hebrews begins with a declaration of a speaking God and a sitting son. The sitting son is Jesus, and the author of Hebrews is going to explain to us that Jesus is sitting because his work is finished. He has accomplished the salvation of his people. The book of Hebrews is a letter. It's a letter that is written to show us who Jesus is, and by showing us who Jesus is, Jesus is the speech of God. He is the the one who is sitting This Jesus, who is the speech of God, this Jesus, who is the one who is sitting, this Jesus has a profound impact on our lives. And we're going to consider that as we work through our text this morning. The book of Hebrews, if you'd open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, the book of Hebrews was probably originally a sermon, making it the earliest complete sermon that we have from the ancient church preserved for us today. We have portions of sermons in the book of Acts, and we have sermons that are preserved from the early church from later on in the first century and even into the second century. But the book of Hebrews is probably the earliest complete sermon that we have from the early church. Not only is it the earliest sermon, but it's also inspired, God-breathed scripture which those other old sermons that we have from the history of the church, they are just not quite that. Our text for this morning, the opening four verses of the book of Hebrews, are the introduction of the author to the subject. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." In these few verses, the author of Hebrews makes two main points. 
And you can see them at the beginning of verse number 2 and at the end of verse number 3. Notice in verse number 2 that God has spoken to us by his Son. That is the first main idea. The second main idea you see at the end of verse number 3 it is that the Son sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Everything else in the introduction is built around those two main ideas. God spoke and the Son sat. There is so much truth in those small two points that we're going to be looking at these verses for the next couple of weeks. This week, we are going to consider God's speech. Next week, we're going to consider the Son who sat. This week, as we see that God has spoken, we're going to come to value the final authoritative word of God to us for our spiritual life. Do you want to hear the voice of God? Do you long for God to speak to you today? He has spoken. This is the message of the author of Hebrews. God has spoken to you. This morning we learn how to listen to the voice of God. Look with me at how God spoke. The author wants us to see a, a contrast between two aspects of the speech of God. He begins by telling us about the, the diverse speaking of God, and then he contrasts this with the definitive speech of God. The, the diverse speaking and the definitive speech of God. Look first with me at the diverse speaking of God. The author begins his introduction with these words, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The emphasis in these words is on the partial, incomplete, ongoing speaking of God. Notice that the speaking of God was first long ago. God was speaking to Adam in the garden, to Noah in the time before the flood, to Abraham in antiquity, to Moses in Egypt, to Samuel before the kingdom of Israel was established, to David in the early days of the kingdom, to Isaiah when the kingdom had been divided between the north and the south, to Jeremiah as the southern kingdom was carried away into exile. To Ezekiel and Daniel as Israel was exiled in Babylon. To Zechariah and Malachi as God brought those exiles back into the promised land. But even those words to Malachi were long ago. There had been 400 years of divine silence from the time of Malachi until Jesus. 400 years of longing, 400 years of wondering when God would speak again. God spoke long ago. The text says God spoke in many parts, or in our translation, at many times. It's not as though God revealed everything about himself all at once through a single prophet. No, God was speaking in many parts. To Noah, God revealed his covenant promise to never destroy the earth again by a flood. Yet to Noah, God said nothing about his plan to establish a people for himself, to give them a promised land and to bless all nations through that people. God said none of that to, Mo to Noah. To Abraham, God promised a land, a seed, and a blessing. 
And yet to Abraham, God said nothing about his law, nor did he reveal the meaning of his name, Yahweh. To Moses, God revealed the law, his righteous standard by which Israel was to conduct herself in the promised land. To Moses, God also revealed his name, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yet God revealed very little about the new covenant to Moses. Very little, a little bit, but not very much about how God would ultimately reconcile his people to himself and how he would forgive his people's sins. To the prophets, God began to reveal, prophet by prophet, details about how he would redeem this world and how he would bring all things to their final consummation. Yet we have these strange words from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, that the, these prophets, though they understood they were talking about the coming Messiah, they inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. God spoke in many parts to the prophets, in piecemeal, slowly revealing his plan through salvation history. We call this truth progressive revelation. Not only was God speaking long ago at many times, but our text says God was speaking in many ways. One time, God said to Aaron and Miriam in the desert, Numbers chapter 12, if there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Yahweh tells them that with Moses... I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of Yahweh. Yahweh was speaking in many times, in many ways, in visions, in dreams, even in the case of Moses, face to face, as it were. God spoke in many ways. Notice in our text, to whom God was speaking. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. It was to the patriarchs. It was to the Jews to whom God was speaking. From generation to generation, beginning with Adam and going all the way to the generation of Malachi, the generation that had returned from Babylon, God was speaking to the fathers. Finally, notice how God was speaking. He was speaking by the prophets. God spoke in times past by the prophets. This is part of the point of God's word to Aaron and Miriam that we just looked at. Yahweh says to Aaron and Miriam, if there is a prophet among you, I, Yahweh, make myself known to him. Moses himself was a prophet. And until John the Baptist, undoubtedly Moses was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. God was speaking to his people by the prophets. Notice that in all of this, God was speaking. Our English translation says that God spoke, but the word here is not just a simple word that describes something that happened in the past. The word itself is describing an, an ongoing action, something that was never finished, something that kept on going. God was speaking. This is the diverse speaking of God. It's diverse in time, in the past, 
throughout the past. It's diverse in parts, progressively, detail by detail, through the old age. It is diverse in ways, sometimes in a dream, sometimes in a vision, sometimes face to face. But it was always an ongoing kind of speaking. God was speaking. All of this is in contrast to the definitive speech of God. As, as the author turns our attention to the definitive speech of God, he describes it as final, authoritative, and complete speech. Notice our author's words in verse number two. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Consider the power of this short phrase, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Everything here is a contrast to everything we just considered about God speaking in the old age. We first of all see that God has spoken in these last days. You see that expression in your Bible? In these last days, God had been speaking long ago. Throughout the Old Testament, God had been speaking. But now, in these last days, God has spoken. All of history has been waiting for these last days. This expression, these last days, this is something of a technical phrase in the Bible. It's a technical phrase kind of like our term end times. If I use that expression, end times, what immediately comes to your mind is probably either the Left Behind series or, generally speaking, that time period at the end of the age when Jesus comes back. The end times, those events that surround the coming of Jesus before eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. We have a specific expectation for the end times. We've all gone through the prophecy conferences. We've heard what happens at the end times. And we could rightly translate this verse, God has in these end times spoken to us by his son. The author is saying that we are in the end times that Israel had been waiting for in these last days. Let me show you how this is a technical expression in the Bible. This expression was actually used long ago at the end of the book of Genesis as Jacob blesses his 12 sons. He says this in Genesis chapter 49 and verse number 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you. Notice this in your, in your ESV it says, In days to come. This expression, in days to come, is the same as that expression we just saw, in these last days. Jacob then describes coming days when, verse number 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This is a prophecy of the end times. It's a prophecy of the last days. Or consider the expression of Isaiah all the way forward in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse number 2. Isaiah chapter 2, number, verse number 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. 
Again, this is what's going to happen in the last days. The words are exactly the same words as what Jacob had said back in the book of Genesis. Consider the words of Gabriel to the prophet Daniel, who came a couple hundred years after the time of Isaiah. In Daniel chapter 10 and verse number 14, Daniel came, Gabriel came to Daniel to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Again, this is the exact same expression. Translated a little different in our English Bibles, but it's the exact same words as Jacob said in Genesis, as Isaiah said in Isaiah 2, and it's used a lot of other places in between. I'm just picking out a few examples. And now, now the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 2, tells us that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. The last days are here. God has spoken. Unless we imagine that the author of Hebrews is kind of unique in his his, uh, vision of, of the end times, listen to what Paul says. Paul says something very, very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 11. Now these things happened to them, the people in the Old Testament, as an example. But they were written down for our instruction, listen to this, on whom the end of the ages has come. The end of the ages has come upon us. We are in the last days. God has spoken to us in these last days. The author of Hebrews writes, he has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So the contrast is not just between God speaking long ago and God speaking in these last days. Notice, God has spoken. This is profound. Remember, God had been speaking in this ongoing manner. It was ongoing throughout time. It was ongoing in different parts. It was ongoing in various ways. But now he has spoken. There is nothing ongoing about the speech of God presently. This is actually the main point of all of these four verses. If you were to look at the uh, uh, verses 1 to 4 in the original language, you see this whole introduction is just one really big long sentence. And in this big, long sentence, there's one main verb, one main thing that's being done. This is it. God has spoken. There's this sense of finality and completeness in these words, especially when we consider that the author is making this intentional contrast between the diverse speaking of God in the past and this final speaking of God through the Son. God has spoken definitively, finally, authoritatively, completely. God does not need to continue to speak because he has spoken. Notice it is speech through the Son that separates the ages. What is it? Why is it that we are living in the last times? Why is it that we are living in the end days? It is because the Son has come and he has, God has spoken through his Son. 
The arrival of the Son is the great divider of the ages. We all have a concept of what a divider of ages is like. For, for my generation, it was 9-11. It was 9-11. The world changed in fundamental ways after 9-11. I remember when I was a kid, Grandma and Grandpa Carmichael flew to their retirement missionary ministry in Bonaire and then in Jamaica. I remember going to the Rochester airport as a little kid. My whole family was going to the, great, to the gate with Grandma and Grandpa. I remember hugging them. There we are at the gate. We watched them go through the door and down that tunnel and into the airplane. I remember watching from those big windows that overlook the tarmac. Kids today have no idea what that world was like. Now we say goodbye to our loved ones at the ticket counter. And then they go through the x-ray machines and their luggage goes through the x-ray machines. Now they're thoroughly checked and patted down before they even get near the gates to make sure that they don't have any weapons on them. And we're left back there in the lobby watching these big screens with words on them to make sure that the, the flight departed on time. The world changed radically after 9-11. But there were other monumental changes in the world before 9-11. Some of you remember the world before Watergate. Some of you remember the world before the Kennedy assassination. Even in the last few, world, few years, the world has changed again with the COVID pandemic. And I'm sure the world will change again in the future. But there has never been a change like the one when God spoke through his son. That change literally divided history in two. It was so fundamental a change that our calendars still bear the mark of that change. Although our secular age has tried to change the terminology from before Christ, B.C., and Anno Domini, the, Lord, the year of our Lord, A.D., it's changed it to B.C., B.C.E., before Common Era, and C.E., Common Era, Guess what? The years are still the same. Year zero still represents the year when Jesus was born. We are in the last days. God has spoken. Notice, God has spoken to us. Long ago, God was speaking to our fathers, but now he has spoken to us. Think about what this means. We can say with relative certainty that whoever the author of Hebrews was, he was not an apostle, including Paul. He specifically tells us in chapter 2 and verse number 4 that the gospel, our great salvation, was declared to us, verse number 3, declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. Notice that in this verse, there are three generations of people. First is the Lord. It was declared at first by the Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus, right? Jesus is the Lord. Jesus was the first one to declare the gospel. Who did Jesus declare the gospel to? He declared it to those who it was attested to us by those who heard. Who is that? Who did Jesus declare the gospel to? 
Well, the apostles, right? The apostles were that generation who heard the gospel from Jesus. And notice, this gospel was attested to us by those who heard. The author of Hebrews is putting himself in a third generation after Jesus. There's Jesus, there's those who heard Jesus, and then there's us. We who heard the gospel from the people who heard it from Jesus. Three generations. The author did not personally hear the gospel from Jesus. The author heard the gospel from those who had heard it from Jesus. Why does this matter? Why am I making a big deal about this? Look back at chapter 1 and verse number 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. Even if we did not personally hear Jesus with our own ears, even if we did not see Jesus with our own eyes, God has still spoken to us by his Son. Do you see? The words of Jesus are the final, authoritative words of God to us, even if we did not personally hear them. Those who receive the words of God by the Son are you and me and all others who receive the testimony of Scripture. Consider what this means for us personally. The definitive speech, is, the definitive speech of God is not, as one pastor said, the ex, is not exclusive to presbyters or Pentecostals. In other words, you don't have to be a pastor or a scholar or an expert in Scripture for God to speak to you His Word through His Son. You don't have to be a Pentecostal and wait for tongues or a second blessing of God for God to speak to you by His Son. God has spoken to you by His Son. God's speech is not exclusive. It's not private. It is not for an elite group. God has spoken to you. And God has spoken to you by his son. You don't have to sit still and wait for a still small voice. You don't have to go to a spiritual leader or a guru or a church authority to know what God has said. All you have to do is open your Bible. And to be sure, spiritual leaders may help you understand what the Bible says. God's Spirit will help and He will convict your heart to show you how His Word applies to your life. But if you have the Bible, then you have the speech of God through Jesus to you. And that is enough. It is sufficient. The Word of God is the speech of God. You don't have to wait for more speech. You don't have to listen for more words from God. In fact, you must not wait for more speech. You must not imagine that God will speak to you apart from his word. Such an idea is actually an attack on the speech of God and the sufficiency of the speech of God through his son, Jesus Christ. God is not continuing to speak through prophets and bishops and visions and tongues. God spoke Jesus is the word of God to you. He is the definitive speech of God to you. Notice finally, 
In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The New English translation, sometimes called the Net Bible, it's a super literal translation. It puts it this way. He has in these last days spoken to us in a son. Now that's a super wooden literal translation. The, the idea is, the author is saying that God's spoken to us by a son. Whose son he is is not the emphasis. We know, of course, that it's God's son. It's Jesus Christ. Yeah, but right here, the emphasis is not on the identity of the son, the son of God, Jesus Christ. The author's going to get to that in a couple of verses. For right now, the author is content to tell us about the characteristic or the quality of the one by whom he spoke. The one by whom God spoke is the one who has the quality or the characteristic of sonness. What does that mean? Well, before we think about Jesus as the son of David, before we think about Jesus as the Messiah, the author of Hebrews is telling us that God has spoken to us by the one whose very distinguishing mark, whose very characteristic is that of son. God has spoken to us by the one who is son, the one who is from the father. Now, we all know what a father is. We all know what a son is. There have been fathers and sons on planet Earth since Adam begat Cain and Abel. Adam is a father. Abel is a son. Abraham is a father. Isaac is a son. David is a father. Solomon is a son. Luke Marble is a father. Herschel is a son. We all want to understand what it is to be a father and what it is to be a son. But these ideas of father and son actually come from before Adam and Cain. Fatherness and sonness are divine. The relationship between the divine father and the divine son define all other father-son relations. Our idea of what it means to be a father and what it means to be a son come from the relations within the divine God. And the author is telling us that God the Father spoke through the one whose very characteristic is to be son. Now again, what does that mean? What are we getting at? How does that even make sense? Well, it means... The one who is the speech of God, the one who is the spoken by God, the one from whom God spoke is from the Father. There is a sense of a relation of origin from the Father. And there is a relation of fromness or procession from the, uh, in the Son. The Son is from the Father. But we must not imagine that this fromness of the Son began at a point in time. As human beings, all of our fatherness and sonness starts at a point in time. And this is exactly what makes it different to say that God the Father is Father and Luke Marble is Father. Adam became a father at a point in time. Abraham became, became a father at a point in time. Luke Marble became a father at a point in time. There was a time before Luke was father. And there was a time before Herschel was. 
But there never was a time when the Son was not. There was never a time when the Eternal Father was not Father. The Son is eternally from the Father. The Word, think about it like this, the Word is eternally spoken by the Father. The fatherhood of God is an eternal fatherhood. The sonship of the Son is an eternal sonship. The Son is eternally begotten by the Father. This is what the author of Hebrews means when he says, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. The one by whom God spoke is by his very characteristic Son. And he always has been. Brothers and sisters, you are in the last days. Jesus has come. The Son has come and he has separated the ages. The age to come is here. The end times are here. God has spoken definitively to you through his Son. When you read the Word of God, when you open your Bible on Tuesday morning, or when you read your Bible on Thursday evening, do you read God's Word as to you? When you hear the Word of God taught in Sunday school, read and preached in the morning worship service, presented to you in a Bible study you attend, do you receive it as the Word of God to you? Let me say that when you're reading the Old Testament, the speaking of God, which was partial and incomplete and ongoing, it too is the speaking of God. In other words, even though the, even though the Old Testament is Old Testament, even though it was partial and, and progressive, it was not imperfect. It is not imperfect. And it is God speaking to you. The Old Testament is is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And if that's true of the Old Testament, imagine how much more it is true for the New Testament. So do not ignore, do not skip over the speaking of God to our fathers through the prophets. But consider this whole Bible, all of Scripture is to you. God has spoken for your good. He is a speaking God precisely because he loves you and he wants to reveal himself to you. This is who he is. So give yourself to his word. Commit yourself to learning from his word. Dedicate yourself to listening to God through his word. And as you dedicate yourself to listening to God speak to you through his word, guard your heart from the false voices. Now, there are many people in the Christian world today who claim to be speaking from God. There are many who claim to hear from Jesus and to tell you what he has said to them. Brothers and sisters, do not believe it. God is not revealing himself in signs and wonders and visions and dreams. That was partial incomplete, ongoing speech that belongs to an old age. Those days are over. 
God has spoken. And He has spoken to us by His Son. So listen to God speaking through the Son. His words have been preserved for us in Scripture. And His words are not merely contained in Scripture, as though it's the red letters we need to pay attention to. No, no, no. All of Scripture is His Word. The Bible, all of it is His Word. We listen to God speaking even in the black letters too. Jesus has spoken. His Spirit led the apostles to record and to explain His speech for us. We have received God's revelation to us in all of Holy Scripture. Don't listen to Jesus calling through the voice of popular books. Don't listen to so-called prophets and bishops proclaiming divine messages. These are false prophets that you must keep yourself from. Give yourself to Jesus. Give yourself to His Word. God spoke to you through the Son. Listen to the Son. Father, thank you.